Laurent, Captives at Sea Nighttime But something had changed. As soon as I opened my eyes, I knew we were close to land. Even in the shadowy silence of the cabin, I could smell the living things of the land. And so the journey is coming to an end, I thought, and we will finally know what awaits us in this new captivity, in which we are destined to be even lower and more abject than before. I was as relieved as I was frightened, as curious as I was filled with dread. And by the light of the one night lantern, I saw Tristan lying awake, his face tense as he peered into the darkness. He too knew that the voyage was almost ended. The naked princesses still slept, however, looking like exotic beasts in their golden cages. The piquant little beauty was a yellow flame in the gloom. Rosalind's curly black hair draped her white back to the curve of her plump little buttocks. And above, the long, delicate-boned Elena lay on her back, her straight brown hair combed out over her pillow. Lovely flesh, these three, our tender fellow prisoners. Beauty's rounded little arms and legs begging to be pinched as she lay snuggled in her sheets, Elena's head thrown back in the total abandon of sleep, her long, slender legs wide apart, one knee against the bars of the cage. Rosalind turned on her side as I looked at her, her large breasts falling gently forward, nipples darkly pink and erect. And to my far right, the black-haired Dimitri, vying with the blonde Tristan in muscular beauty. Dimitri's face oddly cold in slumber, though by day he was often the kindest and most accepting of us all. We princes caged as securely as the women, probably looked no more human, no less exotic. And each of us wore the stiff little covering of gold mesh between our legs, forbidding us the slightest examination of our own hungry organs. We had come to know each other very well during the long nights at sea, when our guards were not near enough to hear our whispers. And in our quiet hours of thinking and dreaming, perhaps we had come to better know ourselves. Do you feel it, Laurent? Tristan whispered. We are near to the shore. Tristan was the anxious one, the one who grieved for his lost master, Nicholas, yet watched everything around him. Yes. I answered under my breath, with a little glance at him. Flash of his blue eye. It can't be long. I only hope. Yes, I said again. What is there to hope for, Tristan? That they don't separate us. I didn't answer. I lay back and closed my eyes. What did it matter to talk about it when soon all things would be revealed, and we could do nothing to alter them? Whatever happens, I said dreamily, I'm glad the voyage is ended. I'm glad we'll soon be put to some use again. After the initial tests of our passion, we had not been used again by our captors, and for a fortnight we had been tortured by our own desires, the boyish attendants only laughing gently at us and quickly binding our hands when we dared to touch the delicate wedge-shaped casings of mesh that imprisoned our privates. We had all suffered equally, it seemed, with nothing to distract us in the hold of the ship but the sight of one another's nakedness 
and I couldn't help but wonder if these young caretakers, so thoughtful in every other regard, realized how relentlessly we had been schooled in the appetites of the flesh, how our masters and mistresses in the queen's court had taught us to crave even the crack of the strap to alleviate the fire within us. Not a half-day of the old servitude had passed without thorough use of our bodies, and even the most obedient of us had received constant chastisement, and those sent down from the castle to the penance of the village had known little rest either. But those were different worlds, as Tristan and I had often agreed during our whispered nighttime conversations. In both the village and the castle, we had been expected to speak, if only to say, Yes, my lord, or yes, my lady. And we had been given express commands and sent now and then.